Hi, I'm Rob, and this is Dad Sofa, a podcast about the things that connect us. Whether it is a rained-off attempt at a trip to the pub, or string theory, a cycle to Cornwall, or a chat in the sea, we talk about the stuff of life, what makes us curious, the stuff that connects everything, the spaghetti of life. Come and join us. Get comfy. This is Dad Sofa. During my training, having left university, I decided to take a course that would help with my work towards fellowship of the dental faculty of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. I booked the course and the exam and packed my bags for Scotland. It was the first time that I'd been, and I stayed on the south side of the city in a bed and breakfast where the lady put me in a room with a huge walnut calf bed, the luxury of which I'd not seen before. It was great to be there, not least because the Edinburgh Fringe was on, a famous comedy festival, and so I was able to go and see some of the acts that were scheduled as well as further my formal education. The city can be sunny one minute and breathtakingly cold the next, as it stands high up and exposed, only looked down upon by Arthur's Seat, the huge hillock on the east side. The Royal College is a huge, imposing building, and the College's history goes back over 500 years. The museum is a vast collection of the various tools used for different types of surgery over the centuries, ornate porcelain bleeding bowls, used by barber surgeons, as well as pieces of kit that were hard to work out what they could ever have been used for. The college was given a seal of cause by King James IV in 1505, which meant that surgery was made a craft of the guild. It meant that apprentices had to be literate and must be examined on their knowledge of anatomy, which is still the case over 500 years later. They don't hold back either. The paintings and decorations in the building are a genuine pleasure to behold and make it very much like walking through a palace. One evening, we were invited to attend a lecture at Old Surgeon's Hall, a name that made me wonder about its background. On arrival, there was a large courtyard with a wide entrance passage that would have been used by horse-drawn carriages back in the day. It seemed rather spooky, and the tension was made worse because the so-called lecture was more of a test of the individual in front of a hall of thirty people kind of approach. A question would be asked, such as how Clostridium tetani is reacted to by our immune system. And when you had answered the lecturer, he would look around and say, Who thinks he's right? One nervous hand might go up. Who thinks he's wrong? In a loud, booming voice, and looking down at you as he made the statement. A stack of hands would go up. Glory awaited those who, after a short silence, heard the words of the lecturer, muted but certain. Well, actually, he's right. It was a long evening. Afterwards I got talking to Professor Ray about Old Surgeon's Hall, and he advised me it was a historic building, but with a dubious past as well. He said that the entrance passage was where Burke and Hare brought their illicit goods to Dr Knox, conservator and creator of the Anatomy Museum. It was odd, but the place did have a creepy feel, and knowing this did not help in the slightest. William Burke and William Hare were from Northern Ireland, and came over to Scotland in the early part of the 1800s. They both lived in the Irish quarter of Edinburgh and became friends. Hare owned some property, and one of his lodgers died, owing him four pounds. At the time, anatomy and medical schools up and down the UK were desperate for human specimens, and the pressure led to a kind of no-questions-asked policy. So grave robbing was commonplace by people who gave themselves the aggrandised title Resurrectionists. Burke and Hare knew of this practice, and one of Robert Knox's students found out about Hare's dead lodger and advised him that he would be well paid for the body. So Birkenhair took the body of this gentleman to Old Surgeon's Hall, and for this 
they were paid seven pounds and ten shillings, and it gave them an idea. It led to what became known as the Westport murders, and the pair killed sixteen people, and all along Knox asked no questions. There was an uproar of revulsion about the whole episode, for obvious reasons, and there was a children's poem that they would sing about the affair. Up the close and down the stair, in the house with Burke and Hare, Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, Knox the man who buys the beef. By the time of his arrest, William Burke was living at a boarding house, owned by John Brogan, who had on occasion helped Burke transport bodies to Surgeon's Hall. At the time, many people would have cooked on open fires in their houses, and childhood accidents were commonplace. John Brogan had fallen into a fire as a young child, and had severe burns to his chest and neck. At the time, there was no treatment for this, and as a result, the scarring and contractures had pulled John's lip down over his chin, with the consequent protrusion of his lower incisor teeth. This led to a stretching across the rest of his face, so he would have been easily recognisable. Brogan was arrested along with Burke and Hare, but was released. Hare decided to turn King's evidence, which meant he was giving evidence to the prosecution to secure the conviction of Burke. And so Hare was also eventually released, much to the disgust of the public. Following Burke's hanging in 1829, in front of 25,000 people, his body was dissected publicly as further punishment, and to put people off this kind of behaviour. The Anatomy Act in 1832 helped put an end to Knox's turning a blind eye approach. Knox himself was made to resign, and his reputation was destroyed. Two years after this, John Brogan died from cholera. But it was at this time surgical breakthroughs were happening that would lead to grafting procedures, enabling treatment for people like him. His skull was donated to the New Anatomy Museum, and his brother complained and asked for its return so that it could be buried. His brother sold the skull to a local dentist, and so it was returned to the college again in 1869. A lot of this information is available from the Royal College, and you can even see a cast of John Brogan's face there today. It was only ten years after his death that Thomas Dentmutter developed flap surgery that would take healthy tissue from shoulder and neck and back and stitch it into areas of burns where the scar tissue had been removed. The flap would remain attached to the original and donor sites until a good blood supply had formed and then the flap would eventually be fully transported to the new site, restoring function to the area. A revolution in surgery at the time, but only discovered through the obsession of carrying out dissection on the bodies that were being taken to these institutions. I often see history as one individual's own version of events. Even in Burke's time, there were people who even tried to defend what he was doing and called him a poor devil. The college's mixed history demonstrates the value of being open and not giving your own version of history so that it can be learned from. Lord Lister was famous for his membership of the college and his introduction of antiseptic procedures. It would be too easy to remember this and gloss over the darker side of the college history, so it was impressive to see an openness about history that you cannot change and need to be aware of so that similar mistakes are not made again. <laughs>